You're listening to the LiveWorks 2019 Public Programs Podcast, featuring conversations that happened as part of LiveWorks Festival of Experimental Art 2019. These conversations took place on Gadigal land, and Performance Space would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the land we work on as the traditional custodians of this place we now call Sydney. Leading experimental artists Gail Priest, Lauren Brinkat and Alex Murray-Leslie all create work that sits at the forefront of sound, technology, experimental music and contemporary art. These LiveWorks 2019 artists were part of a conversation facilitated by Claire Cooper, who is the co-founder of the Now Now Festival, Splinter Orchestra, Splitter Orchestra and Front Yard Projects. They discussed their research interests and artistic practices, as well as what it means to create collaborative work that spans sound, installation and performance. Hi everyone, thanks so much for coming on such an incredibly beautiful day. I also acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the custodians of knowledge, creative practice, collaboration and everything um, in this place where we are today. Um, I feel like this is akin or as, as close as I'm going to get to being one of those um, athletic journalist people that stops people midfield as they're running off in the middle of a game, um, particularly with Lauren here who's just, just performed her piece. Um, and I'm going to start with you uh, on that note. Um, you've been working with uh, composer Megan Alice Clune um, and the amazing percussionist on this work, which I saw it was just an incredible all-consuming poem, and using sound as material in a live sculpture. I wanted to know what it is that sound could say but other materials could not in this particular artwork. Boom. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> um, I've just quickly had some soup because I was starving. Um, I'm well, thank you, Claire. Hi. Um, <clears throat> as a visual artist, I, um, I'm obsessed with hearing, overseeing. Um, so, and I like to use materials that are less obvious to me. So I'm obsessed with a drum kit, and I've been using it for many years. But I don't technically play the drums, but I play with drums. Um, and collaborating is one of my favorite things to do because it really highlights um, what I'm thinking with my own practice. So it can't just come from me, I believe. But if I bring a t an incredible team together, um, it's amplified, so to speak. So bringing in Meg, um, has really lifted my vision of this work um, and obviously the sound. We recorded um, the piece that she put together that you can hear through the speakers is um, all the drummers from all the rehearsals and then she pieced it together. So it's a collaboration with the collaboration and it's like a, a layering. Um, and then every time the drummers play, they're playing their own score in reaction to the score um, that was designed with Leah Giblin um, that comes down and the girls play. Um, what was the question? <laughs> well, there's, I guess you've got in here kind of mediated um, or recorded sound and then the live. You said something about everything went right, that like everything oh. fell into place. I wonder sometimes because there's so many things can bug out with technology or someone's hand can break when they're hitting a drum. Um, but I, my, in, in, yeah, yeah, the question was around what, what sound, 
when you're looking at all of the, all of the different materials you could use in a work, yeah. when did why did you reach for sound to say what you wanted to say in this or ask the questions you wanted to ask rather than other materials? Mm, I always say that I'm a visual artist, but my first language is art. So to articulate this is quite difficult. Um, I think there's something that sound does that uh, kind of does something to you intuitively that for me and the body that nothing else can do. So when I said that kind of sung and that felt perfect, I think it was just my whole body reacting um, to what just happened and it will change tonight and it will change tomorrow and it was completely different on Thursday. But for me, I think everyone was reading each other. All the elements came together. There wasn't a hero. There wasn't like, I wasn't just the artist mm. in any means. And everything just, um, you know, it, 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 there was a really beautiful kind of marriage of the elements. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. Um, I might throw to Alex, I guess, on that note in terms of, I know in the um, invitation to be involved in this piece, it said to experience it, you're invited to experience it with your whole body. And I wanted to ask you, um, when you have, you know, two decades or more of inviting people in to inhabit their bodies in your music, to question the role of their bodies, their ears, the tyranny of the hands, tyranny of guitars. Um, yeah, could you talk a little bit about creating work that invites people to listen with and participate with their whole bodies? Um, yeah, I think the work is usually about a process, so it's never thinking about that's something finished, but it's that process of collaboration, that process of experimentation, the process of having an audience that then participates, or tonight there'll be a, a very large participatory democratic element to the show, but I'm not going to tell you about that. Um, basically, those people aren't allowed to do what they do outside of <coughs> carriage works. So um, the body within that is, it's about getting rid of this sort of paralysis that um, I think a lot of young people feel at the moment, just because of the whole the ecological uh, crisis that we're experiencing. And so if we come together as bodies and collaborate and act, and act in ways where we are um, through processes of making, I think uh, we can find new forms together and those are performative. They don't necessarily have to be that you're making an artifact or something, but you are creating a change by putting this energy out there and this positive energy. Um, so, for example, um, we do things like theatre of making and they're big workshops with um, maybe 40 uh, students in the art school and everything is live, televised uh, through Twitch TV on this gaming platform I think you probably maybe heard of if you're a gamer. Um, anyway, so we hijack um, the gaming platform and we make and the idea is that the channel can never be left open. So it's just really creating this sort of like these physical energies collaboratively um, through movement, um, through vocal parts, through song, through dance, um, yeah, pop music, and it is this act of process making collaboration um, and using technology to express, to, to um, make it louder and worldly. <laughs> yeah, uh, great. Um, Gail. Your work with Thomas um, highlights 
research and artists and scientists over the past three centuries. Um, what aspects are you able to expand upon with 21st century technology um, and context that the artists that you were inspired by were perhaps not able to? Um, Firstly, I should preface that, um, that there's quite a bit of um, spin, marketing spin about our um, scientific elements. <laughs> and in fact, Tom and I have decided, this is the third project that we've worked on, um, but this one we've really worked on um, very collaboratively from the start. And um, from our last little development, we decided that maybe we should start calling ourselves the Institute of Non-Empirical Results. Because um, while there is a vast amount of science we could have gone into to kind of create these objects, we're very much aesthetically oriented. And particularly in this, I'm really interested in how um, these sculptural objects can be performative and be um, um, <clears throat> they can register the, the human voice. And so um, in particular, I suppose, the, what, what I'm bringing to the 19th century instruments that um, Tom and I have adapted um, is the fact that I have two other singers that will be performing with me and they are both beautiful acoustic singers uh, and I am a processed vocalist <laughs> somewhere along the line. I, I actually rejected my voice for a long time when I was doing electronic music and then I started to bring it back in once I worked out how I wanted to place it within that and that involves a lot of processing and so the ways that we've adapted those um, machines. There's some that are activated acoustically by Sonia and Carolyn, and then there's ones that are activated by processing the voice and sending it through speakers, and then seeing what the speakers do to these kind of essentially acoustic um, concepts in some ways. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how we're bringing these devices into the 21st century. But we are already doing quite loose adaptations because we had no interest in kind of just accurately recreating something that, um, and, the, and one of these instruments that I'm talking about, um, well, some of these instruments um, in particular is the Idaphone by Margaret Watts Hughes, who um, was a vocalist. And she was actually wanting to investigate better vocal technique. And so she had this instrument that, um, that she devised, which I think was inspired by Cladney plates, because um, he had already invented his Cladney plates at the time, which are plates that you bow and um, put sand on them, and they illustrate the, the, um, <coughs> the nodal points of the sound. Um, she was doing this with her voice, with this little cone-shaped instrument that she invented. Um, but she was doing it for her own vocal technique. And then she realized it made these beautiful things. And then that's kind of the path that Tom and I have taken. It's like, what are the beautiful things that can be made by these instruments? Not necessarily what is being scientifically proven by them. So I guess both of you are mentioning these elements of process of research. You, you mentioned the theater of making in teaching, is that right? So not necessarily. Uh, yeah. Workshops, collaborative workshops, yeah, so different workstations, so audiovisual, one is transducers, granular synthesis, but everything is connected and there's one, so the visualisation uh, workstation uh, produces, uh, takes um, images of a cyanotype fabric, so fabrics are developed, photographs, and that becomes an audio signal, so it's about this notion of feedback and we're always feeding back to each other within the collective, and that's how works are sort of built. So it's that idea of interconnectedness. Yeah. Yeah, I love this in both of these, and perhaps even also yours, Lauren, this sort of feedback 
from visualizing sound, sound then the visualization informing the sound that is made. But in the in what you happen upon with the technology you're using for these things, the decision to make process visible or certain aspects of those that process visible and certain aspects of it to remain a mystery, just as you, with your, all of, this is open to all of you in your artistic decision making, the decision to, yeah, I guess curate the mystery and what is completely all on the table as far as the guts of the technology you're using is concerned or the tools for that matter. Who is that directed to? Anyone who'd like to answer that question. <laughs> um, the interesting thing that we're finding with these objects is they definitely dictate how they, they want to be used. And so it's been a matter of finding what, literally, what are the notes that make that thing work? And what are the notes that make that thing work? Um, and so in some ways it's a very limited palette. And so then it's trying to work out how to kind of make a composition around that that allows that to be revealed at the right time. I think that's the performative challenge of this, is going, well, I could just do that, and then you, and it's done it. You know what I mean? It's like, how, how do we keep these objects that have um, quite a limited bandwidth, shall we say, um, in play as, as we move through? I'm not sure if I answered that question, but I used the word bandwidth, and I got a bit excited by that. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to pretend I'm not the only one who totally understands what you mean by nodes in this room. Um, but with regards to, say, I guess, re like resonant frequencies, the, the, the vibrations that excite particular objects, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, so, and I'm very non-empirical, so I could get this wrong. Um, <laughs> so the nodes are the points that are moving, and if you've got, say, sound, uh, sand on a surface, the sand will move away from... The sand will remain in the bits that are static. And so, they, it, so what you actually see in the pattern is the antinode of, the, of, of what's actually moving. And that's... They're wonderfully, magically, in, in the magic that is nature, um, they're beautiful shapes and geometric shapes and things that you suddenly recognise as kind of almost like archetypal understandings of how the world is shaped. Yeah. There's something about performing with these technologies or these uh, mysterious frequencies and phenomenology in these spaces, like in a performance context that invites people into the conversation about the technology that, say, something like a science fair stand wouldn't. Uh, I think for both of you and with your talk last night, your um, keynote, um, you could have presented some of that technology at a stall at a science fair and probably made a lot of new friends. But um, in a situation where you are you are head over heels on stage, you are um, inviting people to also participate and inform that technology. And for you here in a, an experimental arts festival, there is this opportunity to invite people in and maybe even invite people to also get busy or be a bit more punk about how they're approaching technology? I, th I think just briefly, and we go, um, the point with ours is where it is a science fair. We're actually setting it up a bit like a science fair. You know, I mean, if you look at the picture, <laughs> um, you know, like we're wearing lab coats, we're pretty much going, this, the whole way that this performance will play out as an experiment. The only sad thing is that, um, and we did a little showing yesterday, is that you really feel 
the um, audience's desire to touch things and they can't touch them because then everything will go out of whack. Um, so, I mean, that's an interesting thing that we can think of in the future. In, in fact, already I'm going, you know, we've got to do, do things that um, are responding to that impulse to be able to engage closer and further with them, yeah. You're hosting a workshop about the technology as well? Uh, yes, we are. Very nice segue. <laughs> um, yeah. Just in, in that yeah. approach as an artist, who's, yeah. who I guess the question is more, how can sharing our processes shape, help to shape our practices in that, in that forum compared to performing and saying don't touch? Yeah. I suppose it's just seeing how other people play with, with the objects, you know, like I've definitely got my mode of, of experimenting with these things and I think it'd be really interesting to see how other people go about the discovery of um, what these objects might do, yeah. Uh, the notion of sharing, yeah, that's a really nice um, uh, idea because I felt like here building up the show for carriage works, for live works, um, we we come together in these bigger collaborative groups and everybody has somehow their skill sets, whether that's um, singing, performing, editing, uh, lighting, um, shoemaking. And I feel like we share these processes with each other whilst building the show. And we each come away with sort of this new, uh, I wouldn't say expertise, but we have a, a wider sort of skill set somehow. And it is very much not about, say, dictating to someone, okay, I want you to move like this, but discovering these new movements or new ways of um, making costumes together or, you know, new types of texts and finding these together. And it is very much about the inputs of each individual. And so, um, yeah, I think collaborative processes and sharing of what one knows. And this is very feminist somehow. When, when you have stepped in to do residencies at sports institutes or uh, working with technologists in different contexts, have the, beyond the shock of some of the questions that you might be asking them about the capacity or potential for the technology to do the things you want them to do, what, how, is, how is it different working with people in that context with that expertise compared with working with a pure, like a pool of only artists? Um, I think in the beginning I didn't really know what I was doing, why I wanted to go like into the sports science lab or the anaquiet chamber, but it just seemed so foreign and I thought I should go there. And um, in a way to, just to be this person in this space, I, I ended up just actually performing the spaces. I felt like going there and becoming a sports scientist for five weeks or, you know, and I could have these conversations with people and and just actually wanted to know what they were doing and they wanted to know what I was doing. And then once I knew what they did, I did it in my way. And that was, so learning visualization techniques and then doing it maybe in a way that was super um, uh, analog and a bit DIY and then somebody going, oh, you shouldn't do it like that because it's not gonna come out perfect. And I was just like, well, I'm just gonna do it like this because I need to get it done sort of thing, you know? And then leaving and having this sort of, wonky sort of things, but um, they sort of liked it in the end, and it wasn't, it wasn't to subvert what they were doing, it was more just to question, um, how can I bring this back to some sort of humanistic, warm sort of space? And it was like going into um, Autodesk uh, at, um, in San Francisco, and it was a corporation, and, and it was fantastic, because you really had five weeks of learning computer-aided design and manufacturing, and I was running these machines, and I just felt really tough, it was like, 
It was like doing a guitar solo, even though I play a high heel shoe guitar on stage. But it was like, wow, I'm running a Haas mill. That's a five-axis machine that can cut through aluminium. And that was just, you know, and just doing that. So I just like to jump into these spaces and just enact them. And I come away with something, but a lot of it is just, I don't know, it doesn't really work. But there'll be something from that experience that I can apply back into Chicks on Speed, or maybe it just becomes like a tiny little thing in a song. But the five-week or six-month experience just, yeah, it, I'm just performing the world. I can imagine some of your questions about the technology would extend their capacity and application in fields outside of art and performance. Has that happened? Yeah. So, at, at, again, at Autodesk in, in Pier 9, um, I designed the, the footwear, um, these half shoes. I don't know if everybody was at the talk yesterday and they have circuits embedded in them and when you move your feet, you can trigger different parameters of FM sound synthesis. So it's just like synthesizers that you're triggering in the air. Um, so I designed them and it was all looking, you know, sort of perfect and SDL file is exported. And then I was just like, this is just, this is so wrong. I mean, this thing, I'm, I'm going to print that thing and there's nothing in between. How can I, how can I get involved in that in-between space? And then I asked them, can I open the printer? Can I stick stuff in? And I mean, they were really great people because these are really expensive machines and at UTS they will not let me near their machine. And um, so I, I was able to embed things and, and, and this guy came by who's from Stratasys and they developed the... Um, 3D printing uh, printers, so engineers, and he goes, you're not meant to do that with that machine. And I said, no, I'm not, but I'm going to. So, you know, it's just like this process of involving yourself with the technology so that you can change what the outcome is because we, we, tr we trust too much in this technology, you know? We've got, to, we've got to make the change, but we have to do it physically. We have to get in there and change it. And that is a physical thing. That's a physical thing of going to these server farms and just being bodies there because we have to inhibit these spaces to make people think that engineering alone is not going to take us, it's not going to, it's not going to take us where we actually need to go as humans. We have to be, as artists, as philosophers, as thinkers, we have to be working with engineers and scientists at the beginning of their problem solving. And that means embedding artistic research in the beginning of the problem and not just in the end mile where it's like, okay, we need to celebrate this new technology now. We'll bring in the artists because they make everything very colourful. Um, yes, I, I do. But um, I can do that as well. But I, I think it's more interesting if we're in the beginning of the problem and find the problems together. So advanced practices, mission-driven research conducted by artists and scientists together. That's the future. Hear, hear. <laughs> I feel like that needs applause. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I th I one thing I love about all of your work is that you ha you just seem to sort of run with these things, embrace them really joyfully, um, in some ways giving everyone permission to do or at least try it, um, no matter what the disciplines are. Um, I'm curious about when disciplinary boundaries are useful in your work, I guess that's even within the arts and then the arts, all these verses and boundaries and fences that we have to jump over. Is it ever useful um, to have these disciplinary or media-based boundaries? You're just a short answer. <laughs> no, I'm absolutely not into boundaries. I feel like I push the boundaries. I feel like, um, you know, with the tradition of this... Um, set up of the drum kits, I've made sculptures 
with snares and cymbals that to kind of jolt the traditional setup. Um, I'm not interested at all in the boundary. I think that's when it becomes interesting when there is no boundary. But I'm not technology, so I don't know. I, it's I don't. I feel like I'm kind of the jolt from these two. I don't think about, it, especially with this work, about um, technology. But my project before, I definitely think it's important to start with the scientists and the architects. And But um, with this one, it, I feel like it's way more poetic. This one is um, about being the first Australian female in the foyer of carriage works. It's about... Um, um, and yes, it's a, exactly. It's about kind of, um, I like to say, snowdoming or chafing what's been here for a while. Um, they have had females, but they haven't had a local. And so I wanted to make an elegant but strong piece about being heard. Um, and, yeah, thank you. Um, but not necessarily, like... Obviously, it's loud because it's a drum kit, but not. Um, I wanted to kind of show, kind of um, celebrate the individual within the title of other tempo by Lauren Brinkat, which is not just about me. It's about all the women. I think that's a good segue into. Um, the responding to this place as a co uh, or responding to context at all in your work um, can you 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 have all had to and I know with you Alex you've been in residency here for the last week creating the work for tonight um, but responding to the space the place the history what hasn't been done what might be done um, pushing those potentials can you talk a little bit about how con the role of context in the composition of your work it's very lively. We um, collect things as we're going along. So like in the residencies, collecting video, uh, choreographic moves, texts from all over. And then we get together, Melissa and I. So Melissa brings in uh, wood. She brought wood today. And we're going to put contact mics on that. You know, so we're making up until the last minute, just before going on stage. Seriously, it's quite stress stressful sometimes because <laughs> it might not work. But um, yeah, just collecting things around one and, and getting other people excited and bringing them into the gang because I think it's about, like it's like when we were here last time, we worked together with the Lycra ladies and we just became this really uh, strong gang and we were at Art Space and then we rolled down the stairs of the MCA and then we went to the Pinnacles and created these amazing dreamscapes there with uh, Stephen Aaron Hughes, a video maker, worked at Symbiotica, did sleep studies. And so all of that information also comes into this performance as well. So we have the, the piece with the Lycra ladies who will become part of the show today. But then we're having a lot of, um, there's a lot of sort of layers um, within that that are overlapping. So the drumming of Tima, Tina Havelock-Stevens and us then saying to her, okay, well, you can have your drum kit, but we want you to drum rocks as well. So creating challenges for each other and then her saying, okay, I can do that, but then I want to be on a tower or, you know, so there's always these dialogues going on and the show is really constructed in a way just through this um, 
within the five days, but based on these experiences that we've had and material that we've been putting together, but it is all new and, and there's all new songs. We've been making songs here together with the, with the dancers on the cross trainers. They're actually powering the show, you know, so they can't stop moving, otherwise the show stops, so keep them going tonight. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, and then the costumes, Dinu Bodicio, he's over there, Dinu. Uh, he flew in from Singapore just yesterday, carrying the costumes, you know, so it's all, you know, this, these energies come together and, it, and this space is incredible because um, I, I have to say that the team here is so, they're, they're, they're I don't want to, I don't know, using that term team players, but they are. It's just, they, we, we're working together. We could never realise what we're going to do tonight alone, just Melissa and I. Our team is like, I would say we are... We're just a big collective, and it's whether you're on stage or off stage, you are just as important as we are. Um, I suppose the interesting thing for me is that I've actually been involved with performance space for a bazillion years. Um, and because I started out as a performance artist back at the old performance space, and um, and and performance, it's very nice that performance space has allowed me to, to um, recontextualize myself within, within this, this world because then I moved into being a sound artist. Um, and, um, and so this is the second time I've actually done a work in one of these spaces. Um, and in some ways they're similar works, in some ways they're very different. Um, but what I found with this context when Jeff asked me, um, because my work is now kind of more positioned within the, the sound art context, but it really allowed me to go, and I actually really loved the lack of physical performativity of laptop performance and things like that. I was very attracted after being a performance artist to going, let's just sit down and not move and do that. That's fantastic. I, want, I just want to concentrate and I don't want to have to have spectacle and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I kind of spent some time doing that, but now I'm really interested in... in um, how to, without going to spectacle, we're talking about how this is, um, we're making some very small spectacles in there, um, how it can still be performative. And quite a lot of that is, is coming from, um, from the idea of functionalism, I think, and, and more of a, a fluxus end of things, of going, what is it to fulfil a task? And that's something that is really interestingly a crossover between a certain way of experimental music making and performance art. And so I suppose in that very long-winded answer, I'm finding this, this was a really fantastic context to be able to push that a little bit further because the other work that I did in there that was involving that was still very much... I led it as a sound artist, but it was still, I think, very much a performance piece, whereas this one, I feel, is a, um, a sound art performance in some ways, yeah. I just wonder what my grandfather, who would now be 112, uh, he used to work in here on the trains, as a, he was a train driver here, um, but would, what he would think about uh, the kind of labour taking place in here uh, today. <laughs> um, and I've seen this place change from what it, what it was then into now, and then I see my daughter here, who's only ever known it as an art space and a space for incredible experimental performance. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the context is shifting quite rapidly in that sense. Um, I'll ask one last question and then throw it to the audience. I'm really curious about your communities of practice and I guess in terms of what you think uh, the people around you need that is not necessarily available to them right now that would inject more adventure, experimentation and perhaps even reflection and care for one another while making work? 
you, you all make work all around the world. This isn't necessarily just about um, Sydney necessarily. Pardon? Um, I think well, a, a community of practice in my, I, I would see that as being the audience as well as the people who are making. Um, but the, I guess the obstacles, maybe the other way of asking the questions, the question would be what obstacles are in place now that might not be in the next 10 years if, if people are to be feeling supported by one another, by the institutions, by society generally? Yeah. Are there any... Uh, no, that's interesting. Specific question. suggestions. Yeah, no, um, if it's okay, then yeah, I suppose. Um, that's interesting. I think that's one thing that, as an artist or as a cultural maker, producer, that one struggles with these sort of budget things, no? And, and being able to um, realise the work that one uh, would like to bring out into the world. But I feel like, um, having worked a lot in Spain and now in uh, Scandinavia, where you've got these sort of two opposite poles of one is... Uh, highly government funded and the other is zero funding because now you have things like the Catalan independence movement and so culture becomes something else and the politics suddenly, it, yeah, the balance sort of shifts and so all the artists from Spain sort of moved up to Scandinavia because they can get um, PhD positions and so on to support their practice. Um, I feel like, honestly, I, I would say what I would love to happen and there's groups like Wage Working Artists for the Greater Economy uh, that, um, you know, um, see that artists should have these living wages and so on. But having been in Spain for this moment where this whole sort of cultural funding sort of slid away, I saw something else then. And I was like, okay, this sort of changes things and the role of the artist changes and we become more, I don't know, like a... Um, less of this sort of artistic genius sort of thing and more of uh, social working within. But I think we do this anyway. We are constantly doing this bridge between um, wanting to be the sole author perhaps and, and, and changing that and, and maybe thinking more in groups that there isn't just one author, that the artist is no longer just, that we think go, go to the mission-driven research, that we work in teams to um, change, make change. Um, and maybe to think more independently of how can we make this come into the world, how can we bring, you know, corporations on board to think with us to do projects and less to think of this thing of like, um, I deserve that, I deserve just to be funded or, because I think this also has to change, even though I think in the ideal world it would be great that we could just have ideas and put the grant application in and just get them because I, I've, I've, I can tell you, I've been turned down, and we all have, like thousands of times, and it's so actually heart-wrenching, and you want to stop being an artist, and you have fights with Australia Council, and you don't understand, you know? It's just like, this piece is like so important that this, anyway, whatever, you go and take a bank loan, and you do the work, and you know, you go into debt on your credit card, but um, so you make it happen. But I think we need to shift things. We need to think about artistic entrepreneurship a little bit more, social capitalism, and what these can mean. And I hope this is answering some of your question. Your suggestions. <laughs> yes. Gail? I feel a bit too old and tired to go into uh, entrepreneurship, <laughs> I would say. Oh, I mean, no, <laughs> um, in that, you know, I do just, God damn it, I'm bourgeois, I do just want to be an artist, you know? And I, but I don't expect... Um, 
everyone to appreciate that, if you know what I mean. So I think it's very much about context and it is about community and it's about understanding the scale of your work. And so, I mean, I work from in, in really small scale and, in fact, maybe I enjoy that more <laughs> than large scale. Um, and then I've, but I've also been very blessed in that I am allowed to do um, larger scale works like these ones. But I also don't have any particular aspiration to do even larger scale, if you know what I mean. Like your, the sound of your work terrifies me <laughs> in terms of being able to pull it, <laughs> being able to pull it off. But um, I suppose what I need then within that context is a space to work in, and we've been working at I.O. Myers, um, the newly reinvented I.O. Myers at the Creative Practice Lab at UNSW, and that has been, that was, you know, absolute godsend. Um, it was, you know, I had, we had two weeks to be able to really try and, because Tom works in Melbourne, to be able to pull the thing together. That kind of thing is absolutely vital, and there's like the Rex Cranthorne at um, UNSW. It's really interesting that those things are all connected to universities, and they're really being clung to, and I don't know how they've managed to keep them there, but they are the things that really keep a particular sector, in, particularly in Sydney, um, where there's, you know, it, we're getting, you know, it's, it's smaller and smaller spaces. But I think, like, the initiative that you have with Front Yard, um, you know, those things are where we go, okay, let's make the context, let's, let's um, and see what's possible within this scale of thing. And then, you know, nodes connect and, you know, you can get larger projects going. I suppose that's... That's kind of my bourgeois answer. <laughs> oh, mamma mia. Um, I always think massive scale. I feel like this project is like a tiny scale. I always want it to be bigger, don't I, Jeff? I'm constantly like, I, I want it to be bigger. Um, um, space in Sydney is a big thing, and it's the time. Um, you know, having art space residency this year, I applied every year, and I think this is the fifth time and I got it, which is great. But then all of a sudden they're advertising already for next year, and I'm like, what do I do now next year? So it's like a, finding the right space, time, being a mother, um, producing the right work. Scale is a big one, knowing your scale. Um, I don't know what it will look like in 10 years because I feel like the last 20 has been very similar. I don't know that it's changed much. I've just pushed harder and practised that now I'm getting the opportunities that I've been dreaming about. And, and Alex, I saw you in like second year uni and I just, it's quite amazing that we're on stage now <laughs> together because my 22-year-old self would be like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> so this is very nice and was in awe and was just like, wow. So, um, yeah, this is great. Thanks. And thanks, Performance Space, for the opportunity. Mm. Um, well, I'll throw it to the audience to see if there's any questions. Hello. <laughs> um, my question is about when you have an opportunity to perform at somewhere like Liveworks and you've had so many ideas about what you could do before and perhaps they haven't come through. So when an opportunity like this comes along, does the space that you're creating a piece for affect what you end up creating? Does the space have an effect on the work that comes out in the end? 
I guess, in terms of physical scale or the ideas or the history or social aspects? Uh, I think absolutely. I always look at the space. I don't, I don't ever want my art to look kind of plonked or kind of um, this piece. I um, did a very small scale version of this work at Sydney Contemporary last year and I got told to be quiet, um, which I... <laughs> There's nothing like telling an artist with two drummers to be quiet just before going on that makes you um, rebel and tell your artist to play as loudly as possible. Um, and that went well, so Jeff came to me and said, do you want to make it bigger? And of course, I said yes. Um, um, I, always, I always think about the space that I'm in. I always... Um, try not to think so much about what was here before. When I first was coming into meetings, there was Nick Cave. His budget was a million dollars. Mine was not a million dollars. Um, so I just have to, I think, actually having a smaller budget makes you really think about um, truly what the work is. How do I have an impact painting, finding my very own pink? Oh, BP, Lauren Brinkat Pink, has been a true pleasure. Um, and just using the architecture with the score and thinking about um, really embracing the space without necessarily having to have to go high, which is like the reaction of this space, but actually keeping it as low as possible is what I was trying to do. If I had a million dollars. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, I think there would be, it would be 50 drummers, um, it would be a whole heap of kabuki drop scores, it, you know, my ideas are very long, so I don't want to think about it as money, but um, it helps having it. <laughs> uh, I suppose the context, I mean, I, I really like these little space, these spaces, they're quite big spaces, but they're, you know, um, I love a blank room um, that doesn't have a seating bank in it, um, so that you can, you know, recontextualise the idea of performance. I mean, yeah, the thing with, with scale with this work is it's got lots of many small things, and so it's kind of a scale of, of, of small objects, and um, and we're kind of upcycling quite a lot of things, and um, which means that sometimes they're quite sensitive. But in in a kind of way, that that's the very essence of the work is the fact that these are some of these are really really old speakers that we just, we just found a, a you know a stash of, and that meant that we felt free to chop them up and do you know do things the way that we're doing them. So like there's. 40 speakers, but most of them are about that big, you know, and things like that. Um, so, yeah, there's, and there's definitely this idea of scale that's, that's, that is about plenitude, but, you know, um, intimacy <laughs> with the objects. I think I've kind of changed the question by now, but anyway, it's a question of scale now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think going into a space and you sort of, 
have nothing and then suddenly you go in the room and, and Cliffy, who was really amazing, said, okay, the scaffold can be like this or like this, but you sort of work directly with um, the people here and they're designing it with you without them actually knowing they're designing it because they kept asking, but you send the drawing, the technical, 3D, 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 but then it's like, no, we love working in the space and hearing your you know, your inputs, and so we've ended up with a stage that we would have never uh, designed ourselves, and I actually think that's really great, because then we're sort of, we have to think about how to climb towers and spring from one side to the other, and and then they came up with the idea of there's a secret right at the end of the show, but that's also not coming from us, so it's really about working together with the technicians, they become the artists, actually. I can't wait to see your show from your description. This has been the best, best plug for your show. There's, there's people powering it. There's people springing from scaffolding. I'm just good at marketing. Hello, everybody. Um, I just had a question. When you mentioned the anti-node, Gail, um, and Alex, you sort of talked about um, artists going from being the sole author. I just find that it's more of a statement really more than a question, but I just think that sort of liminal in-between space is really pivotal. And it's interesting on a kind of global scale or even on this scale how, you know, I've got to constantly broaden my idea of my own art practice. And I just, I was chatting to Julianne yesterday about how we kind of pulse. We come in and out of different art communities, but you know, you're always connected and why is that? And if it's in Amsterdam or here or wherever, you sort of go, oh, 20 years later or two weeks later, there's someone you connect with and you chat about a certain process. And so I kind of just broaden that idea. I really like that state statement of the anti-node because it's that, you were saying that's where the beauty is in the visuals of the work you're doing. And so there's all this activity going on and then there's a little quiet kind of anti-node that makes the beauty and I kind of made an analogy between, I don't know, the psychosis of the world and the Trumpism and Brexit. And then in between that, there's all this sort of community like this and our own little artistic practices, which I think is the anti-node, you know? So, you know, and that, you know, you were saying that whole idea of collaboration as a community con is a, a feminist concept. And I just think this whole idea of what's been disregarded often as the peripheral or the unimportant as opposed to the big noises is actually the direction we've got to go. Like you sort of fucking up the technology, you know, and putting things in printers. It's like, we've got to go down that road of you sort of embracing the um, peripheral rather than the main to survive, even when you're talking about, you know, the whole environmental crisis. So yeah, just a statement. Um, kind of maybe connected to that, and you've touched on a little bit, Alex, about your process of um, collaboration and bringing together and collecting performers and influencers and, and making in collaboration with them. Maybe we could hear from all of you a little bit about um, the selection of the performers and the collaborators in your work and maybe with the specific examples of these works and what you were curious about from them and what, what they brought to the work. 
I've got the microphone, so I'll, <laughs> I'll start. Um, so I'm working with Thomas Billis over here. <laughs> sorry, sorry, probably shouldn't have done that to you. <laughs> um, and I've been working with Tom actually on the last two installation projects because I started to move into some installation works. Um, I my these hands are button pushing hands. They're not very good at actually, you know, tool usage, making actual objects like. You should see how I wrap a Christmas present. It's the, like the most embarrassing thing you've ever seen. Um, but I, I also never found anyone that I felt like I trusted to be able to have bigger ideas and say, how would we make that? How could you make that possible? And then um, I met Tom um, and through my producer, Michaela Coventry. <laughs> and, um, and it was such a wonderful working relationship the first time we, we made the stool of the future um, that um, by the time this project came around, I really went, I think, I, you know, I think we could, and we'd had lots of discussions, we could really work from scratch. And that has been an amazing process because it's completely, none of these things would exist just from my mind. They are completely Tom's and my mind together. And they're quite different minds, but they also have this little kind of zone in the middle, I think, that, that's working really well. Um, and, and, but that's because I really found the right person to work with. You know, I've, I've, I've found it very hard to go from that point of going, of asking someone to work for me and make my artwork for me. I had a real, I had a real problem with that for a long time. Um, and now I kind of can contextualise what that is when you now collaborate with someone to, to get them to, you know, create something with you. Um, and then, of course, the two singers, um, they're just two most wonderful singers. Carolyn has been working within the, this area of the voice vibrating materials for her entire practice. So in some ways, we are, the whole idea is indebted to, to Carolyn. I saw her perform... 20 years ago, making glasses spin, you know. Um, and Sonia is, a, you know, has just the most beautiful, um, expressive, impro improvisatory practice that kind of moves beyond um, classical training into this wonderful area in a way that I haven't actually ever heard anyone else use their voice. Um, and so it was just, those two came to me immediately as to who would get this work and how to play with this work. Um. A lot of the drummers that are um, helping me make the work I've worked with collaboratively for a really long time. Um, it's been a pleasure um, having Lindy Morrison, who's in her 60s, or let's just say that, um, but she's a very experienced drummer and the um, other women have really responded to her um, years of... Uh, She's just been around for such a long time. Um, so it's been really nice to see them collaborate. But I've just kind of fed them. I've written a score, which is a tech score, um, on how I'm feeling, and I've kept giving them other music, and so they responded to that. Um, I think I did choose a different composer to start with, and she just um, didn't understand me at all. And then I met... Megan, who was just um, totally up for me sending her things that were almost unmusic-like. Um, and in some way, she kind of just interpreted 
what I was trying to articulate, which is always really difficult for me, and that's why I really believe I'm an artist. Um, and just recording um, all the practices and then giving it to her to then make it into a track. And she's really into electronic music. And I've never really touched on that before. And she's like, do you mind if I just throw some of that in? And I was like, sure. I think it's good to kind of take a risk as well and let the um, collaborator just have their own kind of moment. And Leah and I um, have known each other for 20 years and we've worked um, on many um, fabric pieces and... We've always wanted to do costumes, and this is the first time I've done costumes, which is more like a uniform. And um, they're actually her designs, and we just, I just did the colour palette. And we always say that for us it's like a no-brainer, but for most other people maybe they don't understand what our brains are actually thinking about. But then when you find that person, you kind of just hang on to them. And um, she says that... Um, She's my translator, which I think is a really nice analogy to working with someone in collaboration. Um, it's, it's sort of hard to just talk about one or two people within the collaboration because I feel like it is the whole of the LiveWorks team and Jeff uh, for being the catalyst to invite us here and this incredible generosity and in a way, the team pointed us in the direction of uh, who to work with. So it is, again, this dialogue uh, building the show. Um, I will mention Cat um, Hope. Uh, I'd come to uh, Carriageworks two years ago and I saw Cat playing the flute in a really low tone. And I know Cat's work for many, many years. And uh, Tina was there and I said, Tina, we've got to work all together, you know. And so that was two years ago and this dream has come true here. Uh, she's uh, developed a graphic score for us to improvise with and it's uh, monumental and she flew in and we did one day of rehearsals with her and then she flew out. So sadly, Kat won't be with us, but um, it's uh, immense what she's uh, created for us to um, perform. And, um, but again, it's, it's just a bigger team. Again, Cliffy and Katie and it's just, I, I can't mention how much it is about when being a performance artist or just an artist in general. Um, I think I used to want to control everything, you know, like, yeah, we have to like this, like this, and now it's like, it should not be in control. It should actually be really out of control. And it's about multiple voices and finding a language that comes together. And I think we've managed to do that. And now the show's not finished yet, so I won't, you know. Get back to it, get back to it. Um, maybe that's a good note to end on, unless anyone had a burning question, no? Awesome. Um, I, yeah, it's an absolute honour to be sharing the stage with the three of you. Thank you so much for being so candid. Um, thank you again, everyone, for taking time out of your beach day to come here. Um, thanks very much to CageWorks and LiveWorks. Um, and, yes, enjoy the rest of the festival. Thanks. This has been the LiveWorks Festival 2019 podcast brought to you by Performance Space.